Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, it's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. Welcome to another episode of the WA Property Q&A podcast. And with me today is my good mate and mortgage broker, Ryan Trippy from Westminster National yes. Finance Brokers. Ryan has been a mortgage broker for how many years now, Ryan? Uh, well, seven years, seven years. A uh, decade in, in finance with Westminster, a couple of years at the bank. So yeah, been in the industry a long time. <laughs> with Bank West. Commonwealth Bank. Oh, Commonwealth. Yeah, big brother. Same, same. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Yeah, yes. Welcome, Ryan. Yeah. So today we want to talk about uh, all things finance and of course what's ev- on everyone's lips is what's happening with interest rates. And so keen to get your thoughts. And I, look, we understand right up front that these just are your thoughts. They don't represent any sort of thoughts from Westminster or from any yeah. of the banks that you, you lend to. But you know, what's, your, what's your feel on where interest rates are going? Yeah, I mean, the general consensus in the market and what we're hearing in the industry is, yeah, rates are peaking or maybe at their peak. Mm-hmm. So can't see there being too many more rate rises, if not at all. And with the fixed rates coming off and continuing to come off, I think we may see potentially some rate cuts next year. So a fixed rate, you're saying fixed rates are coming off, are they? They are. Are they? So that's the market saying? that rates are in a, on a downward trajectory? It's, it's not so much that. It's more probably the inflationary data, which is um, being closely monitored. So I know Reserve Bank is looking at that very closely. So mm. if that continues to trend downward, then we'll see rates um, continue to remain on hold. Probably going to be some time before we do see a rate cut, but I think we will be holding onto where we're sort of currently sort of sitting at the moment mm. for, for a period of time, mm. unless that figure starts drifting upwards. Ryan, I, I know that we didn't talk about this pre the show, um, but I'm keen to, like, if people come to you and say, well, do I go interest, a fixed rate or variable rate? What's your, what's your thinking there? Yeah. If I if I come to you and said, well, yeah. should I go fixed or variable? Yeah, what? I'm looking closely at your circumstances. If you're really needing to t- stick to a tight budget, probably going to lean towards having some fixed rates in there or mm. an element of it um, just for that rate certainty, um, especially in a market where we've seen so many rate rises. It's still, on the, you know, still front of mind for a lot of borrowers out there. So circumstances will, would be driving my uh, response to that. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess as I was saying with my sort of personal opinion, I think rates are um, somewhat at their peak. So a variable 
a lot of borrowers at the moment are, are taking the variable as opposed to fixed. There's not a whole lot of people going fixed at the moment because the incentive's not there. Variable rates are cheaper than fixed rates. Simple as that. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. And what's your um, what's the, the the like the average size of the mortgage that you're setting at the moment? You know, like what's the number? Uh, it would depend on the finance broker, I guess. But um, yeah, generally speaking, uh, yeah, our market's moved a fair bit. Um, mm-hmm. So you're not going to get too much. Well, it's hard to find properties in that, uh, in that sort of lower end of the market, I guess. So yeah, I'm you're probably seeing an average mortgage around sort of 700 plus. Yeah, right. Yeah, at the mm-hmm. moment. That's no small mortgage it's compared not. to what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, back in the old days. People have adjusted their reality as well. Yeah, it took a bit of time, but people are realizing that I guess our market hasn't really seen so much growth in the property um, space. So yeah, it's it's been it's been welcomed for for uh, landlords mm. <laughs> or property owners. But yeah, people want to upgrade or get into the market first home buyers. It's a real struggle. Mm. Seeing a well, I've seen a lot of first home buyers and and not a lot being eligible for any of the incentives. Quite simply, they're just not adequate for the current market. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's not adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um, heard a uh, conversation the other day um, from one of the property experts suggesting a good idea, maybe indexing the the uh, first home buyers' incentives to the median house price. I think that's pretty sensible. Yeah, well, they haven't adjusted that for for I don't know, I don't know how long. I can't can't remember when it changed. Yeah, I can't last. remember. It's yeah. <laughs> it's it started. You know, it's been at four thirty. Yes, uh, starting point uh, for. Yeah, I can't remember when it. Mm. Well, the only ones I'm seeing that may fit into that category is really just a single applicant. Mm. Anytime there's joint applicants, generally they're trying to, well, they're having to, yeah, sort of push it beyond the first home buyer incentives. So very difficult for a first home buyer. Mm. You have to you, buy, you have to buy an apartment. Really, it's the only option. Yeah, if they want to use those those con- stamp duty concessions, those yeah, sorts of yeah, things. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I guess to that point, it's not the be all and end all. You shouldn't be buying a property just to. Say you've been on stamp duty or trying to get a, a grant from the government, it should really be suit your circumstance. Yes, yes, that's good advice. Yeah. So you're talking to a fair few first home buyers. Sounds like it's struggle town for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See a steady few. Seeing a lot of mature borrowers as well. So coming back, well, started off being their first home, but now coming back to upgrade, um, having kids, needing more room, you know, looking at other ways to had some cash reserves and wanting to, you know, maybe well seeing how how strong the rental space is. So trying to get a get an investment property and have a residual income stream. So yeah, seeing a good mix. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's across the board. It's across the board. You're always in front of us. You're you're always in front of the real estate agents. Mm. What's your take on what what's going to happen in the market for the next few months? You know, where where where's where's it going? Ah. Uh, the list and I know I'm asking you to <laughs> look into a into a murky crystal ball, but yeah, what's your sort of I guess to vent feel vent the frustrations of the borrowers. I'm saying it's the uh, lack of supply of property, which is um, I'm doing a significant amount of pre-approvals um, because it's such a heated market. You know, trying to get the buyer's best position to be able to put an offer in um, yes. in a highly competitive environment. So yeah, the frustration is just not enough supply of properties probably the general theme and that will continue. That's not going to get solved overnight and that'll be here for another year, two, two years. Can't see it changing anytime soon. It is hard to see what is going to, uh, to change there mm. in terms of, you know, where, where the market's going. It's, it's really hard to see. 
construction sector is still under a lot of pressure. Had another uh, property specialist make another good point the other day, saying that you know we may, maybe need to look at bringing in um, more more migrants to be able to service the construction sector, skilled workers. Which in itself creates its own problem. You bring the migrants in, where do they where do they live? And now you're putting pressure on the on the rental market. Yeah, you could probably um, yeah. So the caveat he had to that was putting a uh, caveat on the on the visa, so they could only work in the required fields, one being construction, and not just come in and then just go work up at the mines and earn a buck a load of money. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They would need to somewhere to live. But you know, if you bring in skilled workers that can build properties and mm. should outweigh. Mm. living requirements that solution is going to take it's it's going to take two to three years Mm. before it starts seeing any sort of benefits yeah you know before the the supply starts flowing into the system yes and from what i'm seeing that there's almost no appetite to to put uh, to build multi-story it's just no appetite for it yeah yeah i think you're right Tricky stuff, fixed rate cliff. Uh, a lot of people talking about the fixed rate cliff going back. When did it start becoming a topic of conversation? 12, 18 months ago? Uh, when rates started going up. <laughs> yeah, so Probably the third or fourth yeah, consecutive rate rise, yeah, it would have been 12 months ago. Um, yeah, the, the mortgage cliff is a reality. A lot of people are still on their fixed rates, so not everyone is uh, has come off yet. So sort of yeah, economists, uh, bank economists, this is uh, sort of suggesting that I think it was 70 or 65% of um, mortgage holders will be sort of coming off the end of this year and then sort of up to sort of 90, 95% sort of by June 2024. So you're going to see um, most people off their fixed rates and actually facing reality um, on some pretty high variables, meaning doubling, tripling, quadrupling of repayments on some occasions. Some of the predictions going back nine to 12 months ago, were pretty dire. There were, there were people saying that, you know, this mortgage cliff would just tank the economy. It would tank the property market, that prices would go down. Are you seeing that? Because of the supply issue, I can't see how prices will come down. can see there being a world where we still face a lot of pain economically with prices, property prices remaining stable. Mm-hmm. So that world is still a reality, but fact of the matter is our, our, our state, WA, our market's still very affordable compared to the others. So mm. seeing a lot of interstate investment at the moment. Are you dealing with many people that are on fixed rates coming back to you saying, Ryan, we need to do something yeah. here? We've, yeah, you know, it, definitely. Is that a fact? Sometimes six months before it expires. <laughs> yeah, without, without being comical. Um, yeah, six months is still a fair amount of time before it expires. But you know, it's, I guess they're just you know thinking about what's coming up, which is great. So you know, you just got to be the the best way to prepare is set your expectations for and adjust your lifestyle ahead of time, not not when it comes off. So you know, realign your budgets, revisit your budgets, and and yeah, what's the mitigating things people can do to you know stop the pain? What are people doing? The positive lens is most people have seen some growth in their property. So despite rates going up, there's still been some equity potentially realized in the property. Mm-hmm. So it's not all been bad. Mm-hmm. But all you can do is, is, is try to control what you can control and you know, discretionary expenditure. Uh, monitor that closely. 
anywhere you can pull back, yeah, suggest to do so mm. before it's, uh, yeah, or it's too late, I guess, because the downsizing is is also potentially a reality as well. So people buying emotionally at very low rates and sort of overextending themselves and, and yeah, and then having to readjust. That That's a fairly negative thing to do, isn't it? Mm, it is. It's 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 hard reality to face to be able to, and it's almost not worthwhile because in the process of of uh, downsizing to reduce your mortgage, you've just picked up another thirty grand in stamp duty, another you know twenty five thousand in agents fees, and you know the list goes on. Yeah, and you almost think, well, could I have just restructured things to? Yeah, it's a very good point. Ride it you out. want to be making sure. It's a last resort. So you've pulled all your, your levers before pulling that lever, so to speak. So it may be downgrading the car, getting rid of the boat if you have one. Yeah, li- lifestyle, discretionary expenditure, mm. pulling all that back first before having to pull the, the property lever, I would have thought. What would be your advice to somebody who came to you and said, oh, look, Ryan, you know, we're, we're worried about it. We, we don't think that we've got, you know, the, the resources to, you know, to, to ride this out. And they did have a flash car. Would, would you say rip the Band-Aid off earlier or, or just say, well, just see whether you can ride it out? No, nah, the worst thing you do is put your head in the sand. You want to be yep. getting ahead of the curve. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at the reality now. Let's have a good look at where your income sits. Let's have a good look at where your expenditure sits and, and see what sort of surplus we're, we're, we're left with. If there's no surplus, there's a deficit, then we've got to see how we can try and pull that back so there is a surplus. Yeah. You don't want to be just meeting your commitment. Well, you want to be meeting your lifestyle and also meeting your commitments as well. So, um, yeah, there's no point, you know, suggesting that you can live off two-minute noodles because that's, you know, probably not a reality. Mm. You know, you still need to maintain somewhat of a standard from a living um, perspective. Nothing wrong with two-minute noodles. No, there isn't. Ryan, oh, yeah. they're quite tasty. <laughs> Not every day, uh, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you know, you, you're right about the don't put your head in the sand. It, it's like address what the problem early, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, so yeah, you know, looking at things six, 12 months out is, is, is very reasonable. The earlier, the better. And to the people that are still thinking that property market is going to tank as a result of the, the fixed mortgage cliff. My take on it is it's not going to happen. Yeah. There's too many other factors at play that's going to keep prices either at the level they're at. Actually, I believe they're going to continue to rise. There's, there's so much positivity in the market at the moment. I agree. What's your thoughts? I agree 100% with you. Yep. I can't see prices coming off. I can see people having to yeah, potentially adjust what property they're in, which doesn't necessarily mean that property prices are going to come down because you're going to have other buyers that are capable of buying that property. So, yeah, there's there's not it's not going to be a, a downturn in the market because there's a whole lot of distressed borrowers out there. There's going to be a pool of distressed borrowers, but there's also going to be some that are willing to snap up those properties because yeah. maybe they didn't have access to them previously or it's a good opportunity to buy now. Mm-hmm. And are banks giving a bit of latitude to people that are, you know, sort of tapping on the rev limiter? You know, are they saying, look, let's talk about, you know, repayment holidays or, yeah, you know, yeah. extending, yeah? Is that, yeah? is that something that people can do? Yeah, definitely. Practically reaching out for help, generally speaking, shouldn't deteriorate your, your creditworthiness either. Mm-hmm. Um, what will deteriorate it is putting your head in the stand, going into arrears with your, with your bank. 
So, yeah, t- talking about your circumstances, especially if there's an event or yeah, circumstance that's that's changed, that, um, yeah, you'd uh, have a chat to your bank and, and seek some help or mm. speak to your broker. Okay. I've got another question and it's it's a bit of, you know, one that sort of came to mind as, as you were talking there about, you know, r- rising uh, prices. So let's say you've got a, a first homeowner that has just under – 10%. Like, you know, they might have 45 grand in the bank and they need just a little bit more. What's your, what's your advice to somebody like that in terms of, you know, do, should they wait until they get the right amount of money in the bank or just bite the bullet and buy something and, you know, get their name on a title and let the property growth take care of the equity side of things? Mm, very good question, Peter. Depends on that person's circumstances, but potentially both both sides of that, where, uh, your answer there could be right. So it, it could be best to buy now. It could be best to hold off. Um, from a finance perspective, if you were to hold off, save up a bit more, um, structure the loan a bit better, you could save a bit on the finance front. Mm-hmm. But by waiting that time to save up to that level, you may have missed out on how much securing they, that property. How much would they save by putting the mortgage, getting their deposit right and getting the mortgage structured properly? Yeah. If you're in lender's mortgage insurance, it's percentage-based. So depending on how much deposit you're throwing into it, mm-hmm. um, borrowing 90% uh, of the property value and uh, beyond that um, becomes ultra expensive if you can try and keep it under 90. Mm-hmm. So 89, 88 sort of percent of the property value, you're going to save a fair bit on lender's mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My thinking is, Let's say, and I, I don't know how much mortgage insurance is, but let's say it costs 10 grand in mortgage insurance and, you know, other. They'd be better off getting into the market and paying the 10 grand and picking up 40 grand in capital growth on a $400,000 property, Bottom. which is probably. Yeah. yeah, that's right. If, if that's the reality, if there's going to be that sort of growth, then it's just a cost of the property really at the end of the day. It's a risk fee the bank passes on to the borrower. Mm. Um, you pay for it, it gets capitalised, you pay it over a you know, potentially up to a 30-year term. Mm. So, yeah, it's just a cost to get into the property. So if it's going to cost you 10 to get in now, but you're going to see 40 grand worth of growth, then, mm. yeah, get in now. People can't get that that um, mortgage insurance uh, premium back, can they? Uh, you can. There is some circumstances um, that will allow a transfer or a discount to premium depending on you're doing so if you're swapping your property out you've already paid it mm. potentially there could be um a waiver or yeah, okay. discount so there right. is some circumstances okay home loan structures let's have a chat about that and uh what is uh what are most people doing in terms of home loan structures mm-hmm. offsets redraws you know, and I know you're going to say individual <laughs> circumstances. <laughs> you betcha, Pete. You betcha. There's no generic we, answers but, here. But we're just we're just talking amongst friends here. Yeah. yeah. Right? No, from a personal opinion perspective, yes, I so. like offset accounts. I think they work really well. I also love credit cards as well. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work for everyone. Yes. So what I like about offset accounts, and I've actually never had one, but yeah, no, honestly, yeah. I've never had one. <laughs> I never used to be around, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Back in the 20s. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, what I like about them is 
you've got a bunch of your cash in the bank. Yeah. And there's a certain level of comfort in that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm a big fan. There is some differences in lenders. Some will only allow, you know, one, one offset account against the loan. Some will allow multiple. I love the lenders that allow multiple. Uh, I think it's really great from a budgeting perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more money you've got sitting in those offset accounts, the quicker you're going to pay back your mortgage. Mm-hmm. The flip side to the offset accounts is obviously that redraw function. Most of the lenders' products have redraw as a default option. So mm-hmm. even with an offset account, you're still going to have redraw, so you can do both. Mm. Um, some people like that mental thing of actually putting money onto the mortgage. Mm. Um, so circumstantially, doesn't work for everyone. Having offset accounts, re- but I, I, yeah, personally. Big having fan. a redraw facility is like having this giant credit card. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's, that's you, true. You know, you, you pay it on your credit card and then you, you pay the credit card out of the redraw facility and it's just like <laughs> you never actually see the cash disappear. <laughs> the only way you do that is uh, permanently reduce your redraw. <laughs> mm. So the effect of that is you can actually lower the, the minimum monthly commitment on the, on the, on the loan. Um, so some people might want to initially borrow a, a substantial amount for investments or what have you, um, and then they no longer, no longer need that or want to reduce the redraw availability. Um, so you can go to your bank and actually reduce that down, and that mm. will reduce your minimum monthly commitments. That will permanently reduce mm-hmm. your mortgage as well. So yeah, yeah. So if you'd paid off, let's say two hundred thousand, and you didn't need a redraw facility of that, you might say, well, give me a redraw facility of fifty. Yeah, spot on. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, what's the difference between an offset and a redraw? Is there? Good question. Um, there can well, there can be a, a big difference, but they should have. They, they will have the same effect. Uh, so, if you put money into the home loan itself, you're affecting your your you're reducing your outstanding balance. So, you're going to reduce your interest charges on the mortgage. If you house the money in the offset account, it'll offset the mortgage, so reduce your mortgage interest charge. So if you had 100000 put it into the home loan or you had 100000 offset, it'll have the same effect in terms mm-hmm. of saving you on mortgage interest. Mm. The difference being with an offset, I guess, to a redraw is to be able to continually save money with that redraw set up in isolation, you need to be continually putting money into the mortgage, making extra repayments to, mm-hmm. to, to save you that interest. Whereas an offset account, you can just have your money collectively pulled in there or have your your salary credited into that account mm. the day that's sitting in there mm. it's going to save you on interest mm. okay all right now i want to talk about um the best entities for people to buy properties in and i can see you dangerous waters pete <laughs> so the start of this podcast and at the end of it there is a massive big disclaimer disclaimer the, 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 this is education yeah uh, it's not personal advice and we don't want people to no. act on on whatever we say here so if someone comes to you and says what entity should we buy this property in yes. your standard answer is Personal circumstances, Pete. But if you're a business owner, I would, I'll, I'll give you some um, scenarios. Business owners um, will generally put properties in their wife's name. Um, that's an asset protection measure. Or their partner's name. Yeah, partner's name. Mm-hmm. Yes, partner's name. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's usually a taxation or it's a risk mitigation mm-hmm. methodology behind the borrowing structure. Yep. But that's, that's something that they're – they should be talking to their accountant or their yeah, financial planner. Yeah, because circumstances will drive how you should buy a property. Yes. So your owner occupier should always be purchasing individual names, is my understanding. Yep. 
some people have it in trusts and companies and have a creative accountant, but generally speaking, it's 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 in personal names. Investment properties, that's when it can, yeah, it goes into that, you know, you know, really get some good tax advice or financial planning advice as to what's going to mm. work, work well. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and it all, all of this comes into what's your, your long-term strategy too. Yeah, 100%. So what's, uh, you know, where, where, do you, where are you going from here? Mm. Spot on. Mm. Okay. So I want to round it out with um, trends in finance, Ryan. We, what innovative um, finance products are out there? Is there any? Or is finance this sort of innovation-free zone? <laughs> Uh, the world's becoming um, more efficient. Um, it's more so not so much the products themselves. It's more lenders trying to make it quicker and trying to take more market share. It's a highly competitive environment. So quicker you know, they can get an approval, the quicker they can confirm to a, an applicant that they're good for the money, um, the better for us um, as brokers and the better for the borrower. Mm-hmm. So the digital world's here um, and it's con- continually being revolutionized. Mm-hmm. You know, from identification to application signing to formal loan document signing to Landgate potentially coming on board, I think we're the last state to become digital, mm-hmm. my understanding. But we'll get there. Called- Wait a while for Wait a nothing. While. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're, they're, they're the trends where we're seeing um, and yeah, policy changes, lenders are getting um, creative around trying to find ways to make things easier, um, especially in that business space. It's, 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 it's great to be able to have a pool of lenders um, to be able to have access to and because every um, business and personal circumstance is different. So yeah, it's not one lender that suits everyone. So the more products and solutions we've got, the better. Rhino, before we came on air, we talked about um, portable home loans, portable mortgages. And I, my question to you was, you, I'd heard that portable mortgages were a thing in the same kind of way that if you could change from Telstra to Optus to Vodafone on your, mo- on your mobile device and you know, it was like, could be done in minutes. And I'd heard that mortgages were going to go down the same path. Is that not the case? Uh, not the case. There's still a credit assessment component to it. There is a simplified version of that credit assessment, but it's not as simple as just swapping out. There's still responsible lending obligations from the lender. And us as a broker, we've still got compliance data and information we need to, to hold um, to ensure we're putting the client in the right structure. Mm. So not as simple as swapping out, but simplified. Yeah. That makes sense to you. Simplified. Yeah. So you use the term mortgage prison? Yes. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. So there is some policies that's come out somewhat recently um, to alleviate a little bit of that problem, not completely eliminate, but you know, a few measures like reducing the, the serviceability buffer in terms of uh, you know, refinancing, a, a, you know, say, an AZ to a CBA um, sort of product, like for like, not borrowing any more money, but just trying to switch to obtain a better deal. Um, the lender will just basically assess your capability on the rate that you're paying and then just add a, a 1% on top just to stress test to see how your affordability stacks up. Um, and the, generally, the market sits at a 3% buffer. So there's, um, yeah, a more uh, simplified, well, an easier way to, to sort of refinance now mm. as it was. Historically, it was, yeah, it's, it's just standard assessment. So it's helped, helped that problem. And you're probably not in a position to name names as in bank names. 
Um, but uh, any of the banks better to deal with, easier to deal with, easier to get finance through than than others? Is there is there a difference? Very good question, Peter. A very good question. Mm. I hate to use this again, but it's circumstantial. <laughs> you and your circumstantial. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Uh, if if uh, I do a lot of business, um, well, I deal with a lot of business customers. So if I put that hat on, there's um, there's a pool of lenders that. Um, look at business customers very well um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of their interpretation of the data. So yeah, simplification is probably the best way to put it, especially in that business world. Um, yeah, applying with lender A might be extremely complex, but if you go to lender B, they can look at the same data, but yeah, just effectively interpret it a lot more simplistically and yeah. common back, sense. Back when I owned a, um, a rent roll, it was common to use the rent roll as security for uh, for loans, and uh, Macquarie Bank were the go-to uh, mm. bank for rent roll lending. Yep. They were interestingly, they were also the go-to bank for buying house franchises. Mm. You know, they they knew the ins and outs of house franchises, and that's who you go went to to yeah. uh, to fund the loan. Are you? You're still seeing that with some lenders where they, they specialize in, in yeah, certain definitely. niches? Yeah, yeah. They, they float in, they float out too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Especially in that, um, that business world. Um, in-home lending, a bit different. It's, uh, it's very much a cookie cutter, I guess. With, with home lending, it's not as complex. So yeah, all the lenders will play in the space, but some will have their niches, I guess, in the business lending world. Yeah, some lenders have appetite for real estate agents, some don't. Yeah, depending on what sort of business you're running. Mm. Ryan, this has been fantastic. Thank you for your time. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks, Evan. Now, for people that want to speak to you and ask you more and get your advice on their particular circumstances. Yes, yes. See, <laughs> I got <laughs> one in there. My... <laughs> yes. Uh, how would they get hold of you? Uh, easiest way is uh, you can visit the website and look me up if you um, want to do your own research. But uh, yeah, uh, best best is on mobile. So um, 0407 007 386 or on email or visit the website. There you go. <laughs> you can send Ryan your uh, pics over the weekend. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, this has been fantastic. Thank you. And uh, until next week, this has been the WA Property Q&A podcast. Thanks, Sammy. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, happy property hunting and remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening.